Hello everyone and welcome to Space Spiels. My name is Paige Kaufman and I am an undergraduate astronautical engineering student at the University of Southern California. On this podcast, we will talk about all things aerospace. We will discover how people got where they are in industry and their experience of the culture and community on the way. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Space Spiels. Today's episode, I talk to Vahe Perumian. I'm going to start off by giving you a few of Vahe's credentials. So Vahe is a three-time Bruin, unfortunately for all of our Trojans out there. So he attended UCLA and he has three physics degrees, a bachelor's, master's, and PhD. And he has 25 years of research experience in space science. He specialized in geomagnetic storms and the societal impacts. And he was funded from NASA and the National Science Foundation. In addition to his passion for astronomy, Vahe is an avid photographer and an author on Surway and Jute series of physics textbooks. Vahe is currently a professor at the University of Southern California teaching both physics and astronomy. I first met Vahe uh, during my Maymester, which was a trip that I took in summer of 2022. This was a one-month class in which two weeks was held in Paris. So I got to travel with Vahe and a bunch of other students to Paris to study astronomy. It was absolutely magical, and Vahe and I had some amazing conversations. After we got back from Paris, he was then my physics teacher, teaching me physics two, electricity and magnetism my sophomore year. This was in fall 2022, and I absolutely loved his class. The material was difficult, but you can tell that he obviously cares about his students. I would consider him one of my favorite teachers at USC. So when I heard this new news about pulsars and how we can now use pulsars to measure gravitational waves and how this is significant for the history of our universe, I needed to learn more about this. I wanted an excuse to make myself learn more about this. And I knew who I wanted to reach out to. And that is Vahe. So we had an amazing conversation um, about this science. But also we got some background on his education and uh, the life balance that he has created and how he's prioritized travel and photography in his life. So it was all around a great conversation. And I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Hello. Hi. So I'm going to start off and I'm going to ask you a little bit about yourself and then we'll get into our nice little physics questions, which there's just a couple. It shouldn't be too intense. Um, okay. But I do want to hear more about it because it's intriguing. I was like, oh, I, got, I know who to ask about this. <laughs> um, so first off, was there a moment where you knew you wanted to study the stars? Okay. That's, you know, that's a really interesting question because uh, you know, my PhD is actually in physics, so I've never technically studied the stars. If you want. <laughs> okay, so but 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 here's the thing: um, my PhD was in uh, magnetospheric physics, so it had to do with space science and how the Earth's magnetic field interacts with the Sun's magnetic field, how ma- magnetic cocoon is created, how how do we get geomagnetic storms, you know, things of that nature. So it is space science, right? And it's, and astronomy has been my absolute passion. So when I was interviewing at USC uh, to move over here, mm-hmm. uh, when they figured out that I could teach astronomy as well, 
you know, that was kind of the clincher. And then since then, I've been known as the astronomer, even though I've you know, never actually done astronomy in my life, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, as a day job. Right, right. So did you, you were just attracted to the, the physics route and then kind of decided to specialize more in space science or how did that come about? Yeah. So, so funny thing is that I thought I was going to be an aerospace engineer. I was going to ask why you didn't go engineering route. Okay. Right. Well, look, up until I'd say uh, 12th grade high school, I was aerospace engineering, gung-ho space, because like I'm a, I'm a child of the um, Apollo moon landings, right? I was four when they landed. I followed all their missions, the, the Mars mission. So that really motivated me. And my dad was an engineer, civil engineer, but still my mom, um, had an engineering degree. So, you know, it was kind of natural for me to go in that path. And then I took a physics course, uh, you know, senior year of high school, and I loved the subject so much. I said, okay, I'm going to go into physics. And then for the next like three years, I kind of regretted that. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if you regret yeah, it. Yep. I did regret it. But then my senior year, I met the person who would become my thesis advisor. Mm -hmm. And she was a professor for a numerical simulations course. And so uh, this was when I'd just spent uh, $3,000 buying the first generation Mac, you know, <laughs> and, and, and trying to, you know, program it and everything. Yeah. Um, and this was a course where we had accounts on uh, a supercomputer and a whole bunch of things that went with it. And I said, hey, I could do this for a living. You know? <laughs> and, and, Awesome. And so, so yeah, so that's, that was the big shift. And, and I went into graduate school, specializing in numerical simulations uh, of space and yeah. Okay. So you, but you got your master's before PhD, right? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of along the way, it, it's not mm -hmm. a separate. So when you get into a physics PhD program, whether you get a master's or not is entirely up to you. Now, I don't know if that it works that way at, at SC or not, but like, uh, you know, for us, if you took the courses, you would get the master's. But if you just tested out of the courses, then you'd go on to your PhD, but not get that title of a master's. But yeah, I did get my master's. Okay. And why did you decide to go the PhD route? Because that, just because that started intriguing you, that subject matter? Or? Yeah, I kind of always knew I wanted to not just end at a bachelor's. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, with a, with a physics degree, I guess there's limited things you can do, but with a PhD, of course, that opens up all the research and 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 what that class did for me and what what the person who became my thesis advisor did was I immediately joined her research group. So all that summer I was doing research, you know, and you know the icing on the cake was you know there was a conference in in uh, France that all of us got to go to. So yeah, it was kind of, it was a pretty intriguing life of working on, you know, every generation supercomputer that came out and, and traveling for, you know, conferences and right. presenting your results. Like just that interaction was really uh, attractive to me. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I totally like that. That's awesome. Was that your first time going to France with the, with that group? No, no, I, I'd gone as a kid, okay. but, but yeah, so this was, it was the first time I'd gone alone, I guess. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay that's fair that's different yeah. that's different yeah it's very different it's very different yeah um 
And then I saw, I of course researched you and I saw that you worked Uh-oh. at Aerospace Corporation before uh-huh. the PhD. We do our lab, uh, liquid propulsion lab partners with Aerocore uh-huh. a lot. What was that like? Like how, what was that partnership? What was that like? Just So it, it was actually, yeah, it was my postdoc. I did my postdoc oh, okay. there. Okay. Yeah. And, and um, so what happened was, um, after my PhD, I was looking to for places to postdoc, and the National Research Council (NRC) has a competition for research research associateships. That you can, if you if you win that competition, you can choose or you actually propose where you want to go beforehand, uh, and it includes all of the NASA centers, includes a couple of FFRDCs, uh, one of which was aerospace, mm-hmm. and so I, you know, I had colleagues. Uh, one of our graduates had, had been working at aerospace already. Uh, I knew a couple of people there. And so, you know, I proposed a project with one of the people who ended up leaving before I got there, by the way. Uh, but <laughs> I proposed a project and it was selected. So the NRC was paying my way at aerospace uh, for two and a half years. But it was it was a really nice experience. Yeah. What was the project? Can you talk about it? Uh, yeah, it was, it was, you know, I never had a security clearance. So it was all, yeah. In fact, I didn't stay at aerospace because I really didn't want to work on military projects. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it was, it was basically finding a new way of modeling Earth's magnetic field because, you know, the, the models we had were super complicated and they were slowing down our simulations. Mm-hmm. So to have something that was analytical something you could just type a couple of equations and it would give you the magnetic field was something that would speed up the process quite a lot and this was this was a model that was originally developed for for the sun's magnetic field uh but the person i was working with had had kind of incorporated it into the earth a simplified version of it and then i was making the 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 second order adjustments to it oh wow awesome they still use it do you know uh yeah i'm not sure if anybody uses the adjusted model because that was very complicated it got to be very very complicated because there's all sorts of electrical currents that flow through the earth's magnetic field and currents create magnetic fields so there was kind of a feedback so that part of it got really complicated but at the end we had a really nice looking model yeah yeah Yeah. that's cool cool project and then so after that you did that for a couple years then did you go right into academia what did you do yeah Basically, yeah, it was academia, but it was on the research track. So getting my money from NASA and NSF uh, with with contracts and being PI on those contracts, being co-I on the group's contracts. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I did that for over 20 years. Gotcha. Why do you go uh, right back to UCLA? Well, that was the thing. So at, at the end of, of the postdoc, I had a choice to stay at aerospace. Mm-hmm. Um my uh, one of the people I was working with had just gotten a professorship at, at UCLA and he was saying, well, come along and work with me. Uh, but I really didn't want to. Uh, and, Why not? And, and then my, my well, I don't know, I guess I'd, I'd learned enough. I don't want to uh, disparage him, but I'd learned enough about his character to to know that I didn't want him to be my primary boss. OK, um, now. Uh, and my, you know, if I was going back to UCLA, my old research group was still there. And, you know, and even during my postdoc, I'd been collaborating with them on some projects that I hadn't finished yet. So that was the more natural choice of going back and, you know, continuing and finishing those projects rather than going into a different group at the same university. 
Right. Gotcha. Why did you also like kind of going back in time, why did you choose UCLA over anywhere else? I guess, you know, we'd moved to the U.S. in 1978. And for my parents, even though my dad, uh, you know, went to UC Berkeley uh, by himself, having flown thousands of miles away from home, uh, my mom really didn't want me to move away. And and that was the bottom line. And 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 back then, you you know you could you couldn't apply to every UC campus. You could choose. I think you could choose between UCLA and Berkeley, and then maybe one more. So you couldn't like kind of you know do everything. And so I was kind of limited to the LA area. Okay. And you know so that was the natural choice. There you go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Easy yeah. answer. It seems. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Okay. And then why did you choose to uh, transfer over to USC? Well, it was, it was weird because, you know, I'd, I'd been doing what I'd been doing for a long time. And at the same time, I'd started to teach and I was loving tea. I've always loved to teach. You're good. Um, thank you. Um, so it got to a point where NASA contracts were becoming incredibly co- competitive and, and same thing with the National Science Foundation. And to, I had to fully pay my own salary with grants. So at that point I needed two grants to be funded plus teach on the side to be able to fill all the gaps. And that last year NASA and NSF because they didn't have enough funds uh, decided, okay, if, if one of us gives a contract the other one won't. So here I was thinking, okay, my chances of actually getting enough funding to go forward from this point mm-hmm. are nearly non-existent. So, so at that point I was kind of saying, okay, maybe I'll just go into teaching and, you know, not have to deal with the soft money mm-hmm. BS anymore. Yeah. Um, and so I interviewed at USC and it was supposed to be a part-time job. Uh, but within a week I got called back saying, Hey, can you work full-time? And <laughs> <laughs> that was nine, nine and a half years ago. So, yeah. Okay. Okay. And the rest is history. Look at that. The rest is history. Yeah. I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, traveling because we did go to uh-huh. Paris. Um, mm-hmm. How do you go about like creating life balance and making sure you make time to do fun things like that? Well, you know, when I was actually presenting at conferences, I would travel four or five times a year. But, you know, I tried to make those trips as short as possible, you know, so not to miss out on family life. Mm-hmm. Um Nowadays, uh, you know, we kind of balance things out. My wife travels for business, uh, you know, a couple of times a year. Now my travel is either very short trips, like road trips to, you know, for photography, or I actually was in Armenia for two and a half weeks for hiking and photography. But, you know, we balance that with going on vacation together and, yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. So it, it, it works out, you know, for, for the uh, Maymaster in Paris, uh, my wife did join us for about what yeah. seven days, yeah. and next year, in next year, it's actually a week in Paris, week in London. So, oh, that's gonna be so fun! <laughs> yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. So, what you went to Armenia earlier this summer, right? For the photography? yeah, in May. Yeah, in May. When did you start doing that? The photography in general. When I was a kid, so I've I've always owned a camera, and I had a you know I had a toy camera that when I look back at it now, it's it's the Kodak toy camera, which was legendary. <laughs> it's a it's a piece of plastic, 
but it would take regular, the big 120 film. And yeah, so I think, you know, in high school, I was in the uh, yearbook photography group and yeah, it's, it's, it's been decades, <laughs> but yeah. this, this seriously to travel for photography, it's been about close to 20 years now. Oh, wow. Do you see pictures or are you just posting them? Yeah. So I have, aside from Facebook, I have my own website. Yeah. Um, so they're on the website. I, I, not only do I take the pictures, but I also write about my experiences. So those are there. And I've published a couple of photography books. Photography um, books? Yeah. Well, one of them is about Armenia. It's because, you know, because I took about 16 trips there between 19, uh, 2003 and 2011. So that's a book. And then during COVID, I published a book on the Eastern Sierra. So in all the, wow. you know, the, the road trips, all the backpacking trips, all the pictures I've taken. So, yeah. Oh, I'm getting those for my coffee. Table. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. What a what a side hustle. That is crazy. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, I'm just I, it's it's it, you know, photography is one of my passions. And to be able to do that along with, say, backpacking and hiking, which I love. That's just, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, it, it, it's, it's the best way to balance your life, in my opinion, at least for me, it is. Yeah. Get out in nature. Yeah. What's uh, Armenia? Is it, there's anything special about seeing the stars there or just clear skies? I'm sure. You know, there's clear skies and you do have to get out of the urban areas, but it's, it's a lot easier. I mean, here, well, we have to travel at least two hours, two and a half hours to get out of some light pollution. Uh, there you can find really dark skies, uh, you know, outside of the main city. And, and so, uh, and it's not just stars that I photograph. You know, Armenia, um, it, it, it has a very ancient culture. So you see monuments, like you're, you're hiking in, in, in a forest and you'll see monuments that are a thousand years old, you know, and, and covered in moss and everything else. So, so that's what really draws me there. And of course, it's my ancestral homeland even though I've never lived there <laughs> but, well, I'm putting that on my travel list right now. Yeah. yeah it's really cool because this time I mean I, I connected with a hiking group so I was there I got there on a Friday and left two and a half weeks later on a Monday so there was three weekends in between and I hiked Saturday and Sunday all three weekends uh, with this group so yeah what? I think over over 70 miles uh, oh my trips. gosh you yeah. got steps in that's enough yeah that's oh definitely mm -hmm. steps and elevation and yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay okay so getting into the physics news sounds good so i'm gonna try and explain it okay you're gonna add to it or tell me if i'm wrong sounds good okay so they they're using pulsars to measure gravitational waves right mm -hmm. and right. the pulsars are the dense remnants of stars that mm -hmm. are omitting beacons regularly, mm -hmm. right? right? And so they're using mm -hmm. those and using giant telescopes to measure them and then measure mm -hmm. the gravitational waves. So this was just, this just happened over like 15 mm -hmm. years, right? So what yeah. what is this gonna tell us about, like what's special about this news? Okay, so, so first let's, Backtrack to gravitational waves. Yes. So when I when Einstein published general relativity in twenty in, in nineteen fifty, 
he made a prediction that if an ob- an, if an object, some massive object is moving through space-time, you know, the, the mesh of space and time, and if it's accelerating, it's going to give off gravitational waves. It's just like a boat kind of powering through water and creating water waves in its wake. Right. Um, it took a hundred years for us to detect gravitational waves after he predicted them. And that was with the LIGO instrument. And those were like very spectacular gravitational waves where two black holes are merging and becoming one. And the closer they come together, the more gravitational waves, the more intense the waves are. And they're, they're easier to measure, even though yeah, so it took us a hundred years. Yeah. Right. But, but even that, I mean, they have, the, the way LIGO works is they have mirrors that are several kilometers apart and they bounce a laser beam in between and they measure that distance. And if the distance starts changing and they have two different directions, mm-hmm. if that distance starts changing because of gravitational waves, then they can measure that. And they have to be, I mean, the, the, the movement is on the atomic level. We're talking about the basically the size of an atom is how far these things move. Um, mm-hmm. So that was the easy one. Now, and that was a while uh, back, right? That was 2015. Okay. So that was 2015. And okay. since then, they've measured, you know, hundreds of events. Mm-hmm. Um, this measurement is like, instead of like, you, if you're in the ocean, uh, or, you know, and, and you're seeing the big waves come, uh, this is when it's calm, and your boat is kind of slowly rocking up and down. And so, uh, the difference is this, that completely across the spectrum of physics, no, I would have to wait for it to come out. Got it. Okay. I was just curious. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. I'm sure if you knew about this. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a lot of times, you know, the, like, for example, uh, several years ago, um, there was a discovery about the rings of Saturn, right? Mm-hmm. And so that was publicized. And then the people at the conversation reached out and said, hey, can you write an article for people to understand this? And so I wrote, <laughs> so, oh, really? so, so, so I did that. And, okay. and so, uh, so yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I guess being a physicist and being a, uh, you know, someone who, who teaches physics and astronomy, um, I'm able to take all of that news and digest it to the level where everybody can understand it and, and hopefully explain it better than, uh, you know, a scientific article can. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think you definitely can. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Okay. All right. So I asked Mm -hmm. two questions to everyone I interview. One of them being what's the most meaningful connection you've made within your professional life and why? Okay. You know, being put on the spot. Okay. I I know which one I'm going to come up with. So um, way back, I was still a graduate student and, uh, I was helping teach the course that got me into numerical simulations. And what we decided to do is take the students that are taking that course to the uh, American uh, Physical Society Conference, which was happening in San Diego. So it was a short drive, rented a van, uh, you know, got all the students in there, drove down there. And the first night we there, we're just kind of stumbling around and we meet uh, Dr. Chandra. Uh, the famous Dr. Chandra of the Chandra Sekar limit, uh, you know, and so he sat us, so so he asked what we were doing there. Obviously we were way too young to be, you know, the, the, you know, the aged scientists. Uh, (laughs) He, he, he sat our, our students down around a conference table 
and started motivating them for the rest of their lives, basically, and motivated me as well. And this was so great because not only was I meeting a legend, I mean, he'd already won the Nobel Prize at that point, uh, but, but he was taking time to make sure students you know, knew what they were working towards and what, you know, what, what future they could have. And I thought that was so inspirational for me to be able to, uh, you know, um, not just, okay, I'm famous, come, come have a coffee with me or something, but I'm going to spend my time actually making those minutes count and making sure these students leave here with an experience they'll remember 30 years later. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, that's awesome! What did he win the Nobel Prize for? I'm blanking. For the Chandra, for the Chandrasekhar limit. So that's when a star like the sun ends its life; it leaves behind a white dwarf, okay. and and so white dwarfs are they no longer have you know fusion pushing outward against gravity. And the question is, why don't they collapse and become black holes? Mm-hmm. Well, as you start collapsing the um, white dwarf inwards the electrons in its core start running around faster and faster, and they start knocking into things. And that holds back the rest of the star. It's, it's called electron degeneracy pressure, and it's like a quantum mechanical effect. Okay. Um, so when he was, a, he, he was going from India to the UK on a boat to start his graduate studies, when he asks the question, okay, how much mass can this hold back? And I get, the answer he reasons is, okay, the electrons start moving faster and faster the more mass you pile on, but the fastest the electrons can go is the speed of light. So he worked back from that and found that it's basically 1.44 solar masses, so square root of two. So he publishes that and everybody you know, dumps on him, nobody believes him, he's not even a graduate student at this point, but then years later they realize this is the right answer. Um, so, so he won the Nobel prize for that. Oh, wow. And you met that guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Casually you ran into him. Yeah. We just ran into him at the conference. Yeah. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. And that impact he made on you. Yeah. That's. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's like just watching, watching how a senior scientist can positively impact students is, is, is something I really learned from. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And then the next question is advice you'd give your 20 year old self. I would say to keep, you know, uh, I was, I was very unsure of myself um, if I was, when I was 20. So that would have been my third year of college and kind of not sure if this is what I want to do. And looking back, I really wouldn't have done things too differently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I would, I would tell myself just to keep at it and not lose hope. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Of course. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, those are all my questions for you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Space Spiels. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a fellow space nerd and follow us and rate the podcast. It really helps us out. Tune in for new episodes every Monday. I'll talk to you next week.